Good Monday, everyone. Welcome to the Rocky Top Rewind edition of the VolQuest.com podcast brought to you by our good, for, good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. You can check them out at BlueWaterClimateControl.com or visit them on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate with Rob Lewis, Austin Price, and Jesse Simonton. I'm Brent Hubbs. Today in the Rocky Top Rewind, we're taking a look at maybe the game that's talked about most from the 1998 season. That's the Tennessee-Arkansas game. And we'll talk to Billy Ratliff about this game, about his play, the most memorable play of his Tennessee career. We'll talk to him about all of those details coming up a little later in the podcast. But upon rewatching this podcast, guys, the first thing that jumps out to me is just really how flat Tennessee was uh, on this game. I mean, the assumption coming in was all about how bad was Tennessee going to win and could they win big enough for the BCS and those types of things. This was a game where Tennessee just didn't have any juice. And, and Jesse, it really started on the opening offensive possession, third and short. Uh, Tennessee botches it in the backfield, runs into each other. They have to punt, and it kind of sets the tone for a pretty ugly day. Yeah, I mean, this was a pretty ugly game, Sam, for some for some big plays by both sides. But, I mean, T. Martin wasn't good. Arkansas, I think, really, when you when you go back and watch the game, the only reason Arkansas doesn't have a huge lead, you know, in the fourth quarters because they were awful on third down. And Raynock Thompson and Al Wilson and, and Sean Ellis were kind of every time Tennessee needed a play defensively, it seemed like those guys came up with it. But I walk away from this game and I'm like, hey, how did Tennessee win? Because obviously it's the miracle at the end. But pretty much B, Arkansas did everything they could to not put the game to bed you know, late, whether it was dropping the screen pass, um, whether it was, uh, you know, then getting the field goal blocked. And then you you think Al Wilson may return it for a touchdown, but he doesn't. And then Tennessee doesn't do anything. Uh, It, it, you can see why this is kind of considered uh, one of the more like thankful, thankfully we escaped type games, the great escape, because uh, it it was a wild one to kind of rewind and watch. You know, Austin, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, Arkansas came into that game really good against the run, but Tennessee, you felt like, could run it pretty much at will. And it was almost at times in this game where David Cutcliffe, from a play calling standpoint, outsmarted himself. He saw numbers in the box, too many numbers, so they wanted to throw the football. But when they decided to run the football, not just at the end, which we'll get to, but really even in the first half. I mean, Tennessee had more yards rushing in the first half than Arkansas gave up for an entire game. Tennessee almost got too cute on offense at times when you go back and rewatch this game. Oh, 100%. And, of course, they went to their old bread and butter there at the end of the game where they didn't even put it in the air on that final drive. But you're right. I mean, they, <laughs> they, I think they had had some success – you know, uh, at points, you know, leading up to the Arkansas game through the air. And I think that gave them a lot of confidence. Because if you go back, I mean, just a week or two before, T had had the perfect performance at South Carolina. When you got a quarterback that's dealing like that, it's hard not to fall into that, you know, um, tendency to throw it. He was perfect at throwing the ball out of bounds in this game. (laughs) Well, that's fine. But you know what I'm saying, though. I mean, it's hard to not fall into that tendency when you got – you know, nine guys in the box to not want to throw it when you're, you know, your receivers like Peerless and Cedric Wilson and Jermaine Copeland had all been making plays. But for Tennessee to fall behind the way they did in this football game, 21-3, and then be able to claw their way back. And you're right, you know, Arkansas had some moments where they maybe could have put the game away, but 
they didn't. But I, I thought the biggest reason that Tennessee fell behind was Arkansas is a good football team. I mean, everybody forgets they were undefeated and ranked ninth in the country. And, you know, a, a team that, you know, had some players on it. Now, were they as good as Tennessee? No. But I think that they played up the underdog card all week long. And uh, and I think Houston Nutt, you know, always did a pretty good job of, of kind of playing that role. You know, Rob, it, it felt like, you know, having being at that game in person and everything surrounding that game, you just came away with it going, look, Tennessee's going to, Tennessee's going to be playing for a title at the end of the year. Now they may not win it, but when, when things are kind of falling into place the way they did in this game, you just walked out there and went, this is their year, you know? And I mean, and, and you've seen teams around the country have that, but that was the biggest takeaway from, for me from that game afterwards was, look, Tennessee's living the charm life right now. I mean, the, the GQ's been joking for 15, 20 years that Tennessee's still paying for the good fortune that happened in 98. But that was kind of the overriding theme by a lot of people coming out of that game. No question. It's, and even more so when you, you know, the cumulative effect or, you know, when you, when you toss in the, you know, the late pass interference call in the first game of the year at Syracuse, when you toss in, you know, the, Florida missing the, a chip, you know, kind of a chip shot field goal in, in overtime and, and prevailing, and, and then the way Tennessee won this one, yeah, I mean it kind of is like the Vols have been have been uh, you know paying paying for the deal they made with the devil twenty two years ago for that. But I mean, I mean I just echo what you said. I mean, I, watching this one, it, it just really seemed like I, if, whether Tennessee took it for granted, whether they came out flat, whatever it was, they just did not have any juice to start that game. And, and I, I also agree with what Austin said about Arkansas playing up the underdog you know, role and, and those two things kind of working together to, to really, you know, get, get Arkansas out of the gate quick and Tennessee. I mean, it's, it's an understatement to talk about how fortunate they were. You, you know, Jesse, the, the other thing too, I mean, and we've talked, we talked about it with the Florida 98 game last week. Uh, Coach Donahue mentioned it multiple times on, on the broadcast. We've talked about it in other podcasts. The, the most underrated player from that 1998 team to me remains Sean Bryson, you know, and, and what, what he did at the end of that game, what he did in the second half as a lead back blocking guys. I mean, he was, I mean, he, he, he truly was such a pivotal part of that team in that season that few people think about other than the one running play against Florida. Well, the play that gets that whole drive started at the end, because Tennessee, you know, they block the field goal, uh, but then get nothing. Then they do they ha- they go, uh, you know, turn it over on downs when Peerless has kind of the drop. So they put the ball in 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 obviously Henry's hands. The drop the play that gets the drive started is when they run right behind Bryson and he just sticks a guy uh, in in a crowded box and Henry's able to bop it outside for a twelve yard run. And then they're just like, all right, let's just ride behind them the rest of the drive. And that's what they did. They ran five straight times, got in the end zone, and, and Philip Fulmer pretty much ran off the field, I think, as fast as possible so he could be like, this, make sure this was real, you know, <laughs> that, that something didn't just happen. I was amazed at the beginning of the broadcast when McDonough dropped the stat that this was the Tennessee's first game as the number one team in the country. And, and I forget exactly what he said. I did the math, but it was over 40 years, you know, which is wild when you think about – Still, this is kind of considered – obviously, it is the heyday of Tennessee football, but all of the historic success of the program, this was still kind of like the biggest game or one of the biggest games in Knoxville uh, because they had never been the number one team in the country for so long. Yeah, exactly. But it, but 
you know, again, going in, into that game, I think Austin hit it because they were so dominant at South Carolina two weeks earlier, and, and T. Martin had had turned the corner, so to speak, and, and had an NCAA record day. Tennessee fans and a lot of people covering just felt like um, – Infallible? You know, yeah, ten, Tennessee was just going to – I mean, they'd be fine. You know, Arkansas, yeah, they're solid, but they'd only beaten one team, and that was – or one ranked team, and that was Alabama, and, and, and they weren't very good. I, I got a kick, uh, Rob, out of uh, McDonough talking about uh, Raynock Thompson's comments and, and it being bulletin board material because – you know, Raynock Thompson said that week on Tuesday at Media Day that, um, that, you know, Arkansas had never been hit the way they were going to get hit on Saturday. The funny thing about that is that was Raynock Thompson's go-to quote every week at Media Day. He, he, he didn't just say that for that game. He had said it two weeks earlier for South Carolina. He had said it for the Alabama game. He had, I mean, he had been saying it for a month. Now, obviously, Arkansas tried to use some of it as, as fodder, but that was just – that was kind of the swagger of that Tennessee team and that defense. They truly believed they were going to hit people until they didn't get back up. And, and that's, you know, comments he, he made pregame. And then postgame on the Tuesday following, Tennessee let Travis Henry talk to the media. And uh, they were asking him about the final drive and somebody asking, you know, and, and Travis – and tip in, in Travis fashion was, was giving Sean Bryson credit because they were asking him about, you know, yards after contact and everything else. And uh, he, he pointed up, he pointed and looked up at a, at a um, media member. And he was like, I mean, I was like, and he dropped a couple of explicatives that you don't drop. You know, he gave God a last name, if you will. Sean Bryson was blowing people up. There's TV cameras, there's media people everywhere. Uh, and, and he was talking about that. So there's Looks a like having, a, having a stroke in the background. He was. But it was a couple of funny moments because, again, in the broadcast, they were talking about all the bulletin board material. Tennessee's defense gave bulletin board material the entire season. Um, and really, in the second half, they gave up three points. So and Radon Thompson had nine tackles and was all over the field. Yeah, he was in the backfield. They, they, they were running those A-gap blitzes. He was just knocking the piss out of, out of Sterner a couple times. And, they, and, and Arkansas could do nothing uh, on the ground. I mean, that ended up being the difference. Again, they couldn't convert third downs. Who was, Tennessee was able Tennessee was able to run the ball. Arkansas wasn't. Uh, I, I did think two wild things with Al Wilson in this game. One, watching it, how did he not score on the field goal? You know, it looks like he's going to race it back, and he gets caught from behind. He's so exhausted, too, that on this huge play, he can't celebrate. Like, his teammates are trying to go crazy with him. He's, t- he's like, giving them the, hold on, hold on, I got to catch my breath. And the second thing was, Al Wilson was not on the field for the famous play. Yeah. Which, just, se- which just seems insane in hindsight that the best player, the leader of this defense, on one of the most famous plays in Tennessee's, national championship season was standing on the sidelines next to Philip Fulmer. Yeah. He, um, after the fact, it was said that he tweaked a growing, uh, on the return while he was running down. That's why he didn't score the touchdown as he tweaked his growing and he couldn't go. And Austin, here's Chris Ramsour, who's little talked about, but was a big part of, of Tennessee on that final drive. But it, I mean, even in the Florida game, we talked about it two weeks ago. Because Al was exhausted, Ram Sewer, sophomore at the time, Tennessee had no issue putting him on the field. The number of people that John Chavis played, Austin, on defense that season 
was pretty remarkable. I mean, they were literally going two and three deep at almost every, maybe not in the back end, but in the front seven, they must have played 20 guys up there. Yeah, I mean, and realistically, you go back and watch it. When Billy Ratliff recovers, had he not recovered, it would have been Ram Sewer who would have recovered um, the fumble. I mean, he, Ram Sewer dives in right after Billy dove in. And, uh, and so, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's quite remarkable when you look at the depth that Tennessee was able to play with all year long. Um, and, and, you know, able to – it wasn't just this game. There were other points in the season where a guy like Raynock or Al or whoever were able to come off the field and Tennessee was able to put in guys that could make plays. Um, and so, you know, you, know you, you go back, you look at the plays, and we'll talk more about it with Billy coming up. But, I mean, just a, a remarkable um, a remarkable turn of events, Brent Hubs. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and I thought one of the best calls Sean McDonough uh, has ever displayed um, just because of the, you know, the stumbled and fumbled and it, just the way it rolled off. I mean, you know, and, 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 you know, we'll talk about, again, we'll talk more about it with Billy, but, it, but that ball laid on the ground forever. And McDonough, we talked back to the depth. McDonough made a note. I think it was, I think it was the second to last series that uh, Tennessee only had one starter in, in the front seven. They had six backups out of, you know, at, at that point in time to, just illustrate, you know, not just the depth, but how much Chavis trusted the backups to put have him in the game in the fourth quarter like that. Yeah, and I know Ratliff made a play, but how much of a choke was that by Arkansas? Huge. I mean, oh, yeah. Tennessee had one timeout. What what they would they might have gotten the ball back if Arkansas had just kneeled it three times. Obviously, Houston Nutt never would have done that, but if they had kneeled it three times, uh with the college play clock and all that, Tennessee might have gotten the ball back with 50 seconds with T. Martin, who was really struggling. Still would have had a chance, obviously, to win the game, which is why Arkansas was going for the first down. Uh, one first down and the game is is officially over. But they lose two or three yards on that first play. I mean, and then they're dropping back to Pat. That's what the craziest thing. What what are they doing? <laughs> like, yeah, he's, you know, they're running that, they're running that bootleg there yeah. um, for, for whatever reason. And just wild. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was totally crazy. Uh, what, what happened there. The other thing that jumps out to me on that deal and, and really about this whole game and this whole season, anybody jump in here and I mean, I know football's changed. I get it. The game has changed. Everybody's doing things different. Has anybody ever made a living for an entire season with a middle linebacker, a gap blitz the way Tennessee did that year? Like it was like, nobody could, I know Tennessee timed some of them well, but how eight games into the season does does nobody have offensive line protection calls for an A-gap blitz? And I'll even throw one more in there. It's I mean, everybody's playing with a fullback at this point in time, too, which makes it, you know, even kind of more more puzzling that Tennessee was had so much success with it. I mean, it was one of those, if it was third down, Austin, and Tennessee needed to play, they needed to stop, then somebody was coming in an A-gap blitz. It might have been Fred White. It might have been Al Wilson. It might have been Raynock Thompson. Somebody was coming in the A-gap, and it was like nobody – Florida didn't recognize it for an entire game. So you would think after that, everybody watched the Florida game, they go, okay, if we're going to stop Al Wilson, we got to stop the blitz. But nobody, nobody recognized A-gap blitzes, Austin. It's crazy to me. No, you love that part. I just love that Houston Nutt at the end of the game looks like he is uh, Jim Carrey when he went and, and, and got into the uh, – you know, he snuck into the insane asylum where he's trying to find Ray Finkel. His hair is going like eight different ways. Um, that, 
that, that was my I mean, when the when the fumble happened, his face as he marched all over down the sideline was hilarious. But you're right, Tennessee able to get uh, a lot of pressure up the middle. Uh, Al Wilson, uh, but I mean, again, it was more than just one or two guys uh, for Tennessee's defense. It was like that all year long. Yeah. But it, it, Hubs, to your point about those blitz, those I mean, the the the, the, the correlation is obvious too. So teams like Tennessee that have these studs at, at inside linebacker and then at safety, all these middle blitzes, uh, they're running these bare fronts. It worked so well because back then these te- these these offenses were still operating with quarterbacks taking five step drops from under center on third and long, <laughs> and 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 you know. Uh, Mathematically, Tennessee was going to get there every so often, and it seemed like when they needed a big play, it was Al Wilson or Ray Knock or some of these other guys just, you know, coming out and just completely clotheslining a guy. When you look at some of these hits that uh, Sterner took in this game, or especially when we watched the Florida one, I mean, that's what it was. Palmer, these guys, uh, Doug Johnson, they were taking these three- and five-step drops, and by the time they're, like, ready to even get to hitch, they're already, get, they're already on their back. Yeah, I just am amazed in the world of slide protections that nobody had an answer for. Even in a three or five stop, this is five step drop. Nobody was in any way it seemed like able to step in a hole and at least chip the guy or knock him off their, you know, knock him off a little bit. But hey, give Tennessee credit; it was a huge part of their defensive success all season long. And John Chavis went to that well successfully for 14 games in a national title. Or and he could do that because he had guys like Ratliff and Sean Ellis and some of the other guys eating multiple bodies. Yeah, uh, they, were, they were obviously terrific up front with a, with a ton of depth. A couple other things here as we wrap it up. Uh, one, that, that's the loudest. Everybody wants to ask, you know, um, what's the loudest game you've been at, the loudest? There's been talk about the Oklahoma game a couple of years ago, and it was really loud. Uh, but to, for me, that's the loudest game I've been at at Neyland Stadium. <clears throat> Excuse me, at Neyland Stadium in, in the last 25 years. Um, I mean, it was ridiculously loud the the entire game. But obviously, at that moment of the of the fumble, it, it was, I mean, it was crazy, crazy loud there. Uh, but after that, Tennessee does, as Jesse mentioned, Rob, make a commitment to running the football. Hard to find many other moments, critical moments, where a team has just lined up and said, hey, we're getting ready to give you the business, and there ain't a dang thing you can do about it. And that's exactly what Tennessee did. No, I mean, they were really good on the ground in, in the second half. I mean, it, there were holes. It, it just from the start of the third quarter, there were holes there that weren't there in the first half. But, man, that, that last drive, it was just – I mean, yeah, it was just like we're, we're going to line it up and, and, and give you the business. And, and – you know, there, Travis Henry did a lot of that work on his own. I mean, I'd love to see the yards after contact stat for, for this game for him. But uh, offensive line just – I mean, they weren't going to lose at that point. I mean, it was the, the shift in momentum was just utterly, total, totally complete. Yeah, to, to back to what Brown was saying about the loudest, yeah, for me, probably the loudest, um, you know, either that or 04 Florida when Will Hoyt makes the kick, um, as far as specific moments, Billy Ratliff's, fumble recovery, and then subsequent score when, when Henry went into the end zone. And then 4 Florida, um, you know, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, wholeheartedly, I was, was it 15? I was sitting in uh, the uh, south end zone, so he was coming right at me when uh, uh, about 20 rows up. I was, uh, I was on the field for the final few minutes getting ready to go into what I thought would be the winning Arkansas locker room for Houston Nutt. I was doing updates for ESPN Radio via phone. 
And all I heard in my ear was some guy go, scream, go. I have no idea if they ever heard me on the air or didn't hear me on the air, but I was basically screaming at the top of my lungs to try to explain what had just happened uh, right after the fumble recovery took I think we can get the audio on that. It was bad audio, AP. I can promise you it was really bad audio. Jesse, the, the, the rumor after the, after the game, it was never confirmed, was that Philip Fulmer, as you said, you know, kind of running off the field saying, is this real? The story was that he was on the headset. He told David Cutcliffe, ball better not go in the air in this final drive. We're just going to cram it down their throat into field goal range, and we're going to run the clock, and we're going to the house. If we, if we have to kick the field goal, we'll kick the field goal. But 17's not going to throw it down the, down the stretch here. We're, yeah. Once, once yeah. they're in field goal range, yeah. long field goal range, it was staying on the ground. God bless T. Martin, but I, I think uh, Philip called that one correctly because, again, you watch that second half. I think T. throws the ball out of bounds like six times. Where, where the, he's, he's looking for like a hitch to Peerless or, or a, a double move, whatever, and he just throws the ball out of bounds. I mean, it was not his best game, and yet Tennessee yeah. was able to escape and, and obviously go on to uh, lore for, for, to kind of close it out. He was – I mean, he, there were at least two I, I noted on the rewatch that, that should have been – easily could have been intercepted, and he underthrows Cedric Wilson. There uh, in the first quarter. Which yeah, it's a been, touchdown. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, then, then Jeff Hall ends up missing the field goal. That's, yep. I mean, and and like you pointed out earlier, it's he was perfect against just a, you know seven days before this, so it was hard to you know I'm not I'm not trying to be critical to because I, I mean everybody knows what he did in his career here, but that was not his day. No, it certainly was not his day, but it ended up being Tennessee's day in a very bizarre and dramatic fashion, one that everybody knows where they were. A few people left the stadium after the fourth down pass fell incomplete before the fumble uh, and the stumble occurred. I'm with you, Austin. I think that's a great call by McDonough because you have no way to prepare for that. That's such a bizarre call, such a bizarre play. There's no way you can anticipate anything coming there. For him to describe it the way he did, tip of the cap to Sean McDonough because that's not easy to do for it to roll off the tongue the way he did in that particular game. This was like the Mark Sanchez butt fumble before the butt fumble. (laughs) Yes, it was. I mean, it was – I mean, he literally – I mean, you're just in shock that he laid the football on the ground there to catch himself. And, uh, again, Billy's going to talk about that play in great detail here coming up in a couple minutes. As we wrap it up here with you guys, any quick final thought on on anything from this game? Uh, For me, my biggest takeaway, again, was that Tennessee fans walked out of there, and a lot of people went. I don't know. I don't know what the elixir is that this team's got going right now, but if they can find a way to win this one, then they're going to win the rest of them. And I think that was the biggest takeaway yeah, for a lot of people. I'm with you. I mean, it's just like you know, at, at that point in time after that game, you just felt like you know this is their year. It doesn't matter. And it turned and it turned out to be because they obviously had to have help on Championship Sunday or Championship Saturday coming up in. That came up in December. They were behind in that game, but they had to have help throughout the day to get themselves in a position to, to line up and, and make it to the national championship game, which they obviously ultimately did and won the national championship. Hey, in East Tennessee, you need a reliable heating and air system designed for your home and our climate. You need a team that's trained and held to the highest of standards. You need solutions, not sales pitches. There are many heating and air companies in East Tennessee. There's only one name that you need to remember. That's Blue Water Climate Control, veteran-owned, family-operated. When you need a new system or a major repair, Blue Water isn't going to send out a salesman. An air conditioning expert's going to come to your home. They'll lay out options that include repairing the system you have, replacing it with a system that's affordable, 
upgrading your energy efficiency, improving your indoor air quality, and options for financing, including same as cash and even rent to own. Call them at 865-299-2290 or visit bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to make an appointment. Blue Water is the authorized dealer for American Heating uh, American Standard Heating and Air Condition. That's American Standard Heating and Air Condition. An authorized dealer now is Blue Water Climate Control. Check them out on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate or visit them at BlueWaterClimateControl.com. Billy Ratliff coming up next on the Rocky Top Rewind BallQuest.com podcast. Continuing our look at the 1998 Tennessee-Arkansas game, we'll probably talk about a little bit more than just the game as we welcome to one of my favorite players, one of my one of the best guys I ever dealt with in covering the University of Tennessee uh, from the great state of Mississippi, former middle linebacker turned defensive tackle. It's the career path everybody has. Billy Ratliff joins <laughs> us on the Rocky Top Rewind podcast. Billy, it's great to have you with, a part of the podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I uh, hope you're doing well, my man. Uh, Brent, I'm doing great, man. I, it's an honor to even be on the show, man. I'm just glad um, when Austin called and said we were going to be doing this, I said, man, hey, only thing that's going to keep me from doing this is death. I'll be here, man. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're kind to do so. Let's jump right into this, to this Arkansas game. We'll circle back around to some other stuff, but let's jump into this game. And, you know, it's a wet, kind of cold, dreary day. Um, you guys were number one in the country. There was an assumption among the 100,000 that you guys were rolling. It was about who, you know, were the BCS numbers going to work out? How bad did you have to beat everybody? I don't know that anybody really understood how good Arkansas was. What was the week of prep leading up to that game like for you guys as a team? Was it hard to stay on edge the way you had been for so many weeks? Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, you know, Arkansas to us, to me, was basically another team that we know we was going to beat. And, you know, I will say this here, as the team overall, we did underestimate Arkansas. But Coach Former and the coaches, you know, they, they stayed on us about not, you know, taking our opponents serious. And, you know, that was something that we didn't do as a team as a whole. We underestimated how good Arkansas really was, you know. And, and, and me personally, I most definitely underestimated Brandon Burrsworth because we didn't know that Brandon was just that good. You know, we knew he was an All-American, but we didn't see him play like that on film. And when Arkansas came to Knoxville, to me personally, this, this was a totally different Arkansas team that we saw. You know, we saw these guys doing great, but they wasn't that good that they showed that first half of football. You know, it was, it was really interesting, Billy, because it was it, – it, everybody in the crowd, I remember, just kind of kept waiting. Like, okay, when's it, you know, it going to take off? When's the offense going to take off? When's the defense going to be the – you know, with 11 angry guys we've seen all season long. I mean, you know, the Arkansas hit a couple of fluky kind of deep balls. Everybody was just kind of waiting. When did you realize in the game, like, oh, wait a minute. Now we're, we're in a, we're in a dog fight. This thing's, this thing's, this thing's getting really dicey in a hurry. Cause it wasn't until really the fourth quarter that a lot of Tennessee fans seemed to get really anxious about, you know, and get nervous about things. Everybody was just waiting kind of for you guys to take control of the game. At least that's what it felt like, you know, being in the stand or being there at the game. Well, I'll tell you, it felt the same way to us. You know, like I said, I mean, we're not used to getting beat by any SEC school. 
but Florida at that time. And Arkansas was just another team that we always call a stat team. And of course, you know, Arkansas is kicking our tails this first half. And I do remember, you know, right around fourth quarter when Al, you know, Al Wilson was pretty much chewing us out and, and me personally looking up at the scoreboard and realizing, man, we're losing to Arkansas. And that's pretty much when Al started chewing us out, when he had hurt his shoulder and stuff, and started telling us, man, hey, if we lose to Arkansas, trust me, don't come to practice Monday. <laughs> Do not come to practice Monday because it is going to be on because I don't have to practice. I'm going to be on your tail like white on rice. And, you know, when Al chewing y'all like that, I mean, Al was pretty much kind of like how Peyton was the coach at offense. Al was the coach of the defense. I mean, we was more afraid of Al than it was Coach Chavis. And, when when Al got on us like that, man, it was it it was like no hose bars. And until that fourth quarter and that last actual series that we played as a defense to get the ball back, that is the only time I would say that we went out there and played ball. Because the rest of the game, I mean, Arkansas, they were they was on hitting every cylinder. They was not missing any pass. They was able to get every first and you know, every third down play, they was converting everything. We couldn't do anything as a defense to get them off the field. Billy, you look back at this game, and I, I think everybody, you know, either either forgets or just, you know, conveniently doesn't want to talk about the fact. I mean, Arkansas was undefeated, too, and a yes. top-ten team. So, I mean, like, it's not like they were like a, a you know, a, a team that lost two or three games. They were undefeated at this point, and probably much like you guys had at certain points of the year, had played up that underdog role all week long. Here they are coming in to play the Mighty Balls and, 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 you know, at home, the number one team in the country. I think they were motivated. So you got their best shot. Like you were pretty much getting everybody's best shot at that point. And, uh, you know, you look back at this game, uh, you and I, you were joined to some nation, if you, you know, a month or so ago. And you talked about the fact that, you know, Brandon Burlesworth beat you like a dog all night long. Yes. And it only takes one or eh, really two plays, Billy, to change the course of a game. You're right, man. I mean, Arkansas, I mean, they was undefeated. You know, like I said, we underestimated those guys. I mean, you know, we knew that they had a chip on their shoulder coming in and playing the number one team in the country. And, you know, and when you are playing the number one team in the country, you play a lot better. I don't care who you are. I mean, you can be the bad news bears. You can be 0-12. You're going to get the best out of any team if you're undefeated. And that's what Arkansas did. And and Austin, I'll tell you, I mean, when I told you about Brandon, kick my tail. Man, I'm literally being honest with you, man. If you, have, you go watch that game and you see this man manhandle everybody that was in front of him that game. All right, so let's let's talk about the play, Billy. Okay, I mean it's it's obviously uh, one of the biggest plays in the history of Tennessee football. Uh, I I don't know has it, if it's grown like a fishtail though. If the fish has gotten bigger over the last twenty years or not, uh, I don't want to talk about the we we'll talk about the physical part of the play because we've all seen that. But but take me through the sideline there and and your decision to tell T Martin and your motivation to tell T. Martin, don't take your pads off. I mean, you were not the most vocal guy. That was probably a little bit out of character for you to do that. What prompted you to handle yourself walking back on the field after Tennessee failed on that fourth down pass to tell the offense what you told them? Well, Brent, I'll, I'll tell you this, man. This, it's, I'm, I'm going to completely and just come on and tell you exactly how this here went down. You know, this was a complete – lucky situation that it actually happened 
how I said it happened because you don't expect to go out there and not do anything. You're, you're expect to make something happen with this amount of time left in the game. So, of course, I just say this. I say, T-Man, hey, do not take your helmet off, man. We're about to get this ball right back, man. I'm, I got this. And, and, I mean, it was just a figure of speech just telling the offense that just to motivate myself to go out here and try to make a play. You know, I, I didn't know it was going to happen. I mean, you're talking about Brandon Birdsworth for kicking my tail, man. I'm playing with stingers, man. I'm playing – I mean, I'm hurting. I'm getting my butt whipped. And I'm talking about going out here. Only thing I thought about on that series was I'm going to jump the snap every single snap, no matter what the snap count is, I'm going to jump the snap and try to put – my hands in this guy's chest and push him to the goalpost. That was my only thing I was going to do. I wasn't even thinking about getting the ball or anything. I'm just like, you know, I'm going to do my job and just hope something happened. And God knows, man, I, I didn't think it was going to happen the way it happened. So, so you're just guessing snap count. Most is, definitely. Is, is what most, you're doing. Most um, definitely. And they didn't change it up, obviously, because you weren't off size on any play, right? Not at all, because both plays on the first down, I had, I had a tackle for loss. Right. And in the second play, I'm not sure why they didn't change the snap count. But so when they, tra- they snapped it, I, I got off the ball as fast as I can. I was trying to run a 4-3-40. <laughs> so you, you, you jumped the snap count and you pushed Bullsworth back. When did you see the football? Oh, uh, Brent, man. And I, I keep saying this, man. This ball, man, <laughs> this seemed like everything became in slow motion. It's like the ball was sitting there forever. I'm like, oh, God. As I'm pushing and I'll see the ball out the corner of my eye. And I'm like, okay, I got to jump on this ball because I know one of my teammates would try to pick this ball up and try to run it back and give it back to Arkansas because that's what all linebackers and DBs, they think about doing is scooping and score. D-linemen, we're thinking about laying on this ball and get off the field because we're already tired. <laughs> hey, man, you go back and watch it, Billy, and, and I, I know you've told me you did not watch this play for the longest time but have watched it a few times since then. Mm-hmm. It did lay there on the ground forever. Like You go back and watch it, and it is like – I think everybody went slow motion. I mean, it was like a movie all of a sudden. Yes, it you know, was. here comes the dramatic. All it lacked was the dramatic slow music. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it was just. Uh, it seemed like it was there for at least you know four or five seconds. You know, but I go back and look at it. I mean, it was like a quick second. So, I I still don't understand why um, Clint Sterner wasn't able to you know catch his you know his feet and get back up and try to jump on it because he had no way to even get back to the ball. So you, you make you the go, play. When you go, go ahead. Go ahead, Brent. No, go ahead, Austin. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, when you, when you go back and you come off the field, any other exchanges at that point, you know, with, with the offense, you know, uh, and, and then, too, were you – I mean, just looking at the clock, knowing you had to go over 50 yards, were you surprised that they ran it every play? And I know you're not surprised that they were able to run it the way they ran it. Not at all. Not at all, Austin, because the game plan that week was to run the ball against Arkansas. You know, Arkansas was a very undersized D-line. You know, you're talking about, you know, 250 across the board. They didn't really have that 
that that many big defensive tackles or anything like that. They were really small. And, you know, our offensive line, we was one of the biggest offensive lines in the country that year. You know, we averaged anywhere, I think it was like almost 330 pounds across the line. I mean, with Spencer Rowley being the smallest guy. And all week long, that's all they did was do ISO plays or gap or counter. They didn't really prepare to pass the ball that much. And, and as a defense, you know, we going at halftime, and, of course, you know, we tr- we try not to get on the offensive side or whatever because we know they still got to do their job and we got to do our job. But we know what those guys were capable of doing. And, and as an offensive scheme, they didn't do anything that we prepared for in practice that week. Arkansas didn't? Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee did not do anything. So the, the, whole, game, the whole game plan on Saturday was – was vastly different than what you had repped all week long. Totally different than what I saw those guys practicing. You know, everything was run, ISO, counter, trap, or slant. You know, it wasn't too much of a passing game where to do because we knew that Arkansas would be doing a lot of movements on defense to try to slow our run game down. And I think that's probably why, you know, that, that um, Tennessee uh, coach um, Sanderson changed the play calling or to pass and plays because of what Arkansas dictated the offense to do by doing a lot of movements. But that's what the game plan was to run the ball because they couldn't stop us from running the ball. So you recover the ball and, and you go to the sideline. Is, is all of that a blur in terms of the, the celebration? Or as Austin said, did you, did you go to T and say, I told you, here's the ball. <laughs> did you go to Travis? I mean, Kind of, what's your emotion from the minute you kind of realize? Because you got you recovered it and bounced up before anybody could dive on you. Mm-hmm. Like, what's your emotions from that moment till you, you know? I guess maybe the offense starts the series. What what is it? Just a blur at this point in your head, or what? Well, I, I know my teammate, Cozy Coleman. You know, I know those guys. I mean, he told me, "Hey, if we get the ball back, we will get, we will score a touchdown." Cozy said that if we get this ball back, we will score a touchdown. And I believe them because if you go against a player like Cozy Coleman, Brandon Burrisworth, that's who I practice against every day. So when I played against Brandon, it was easy. But when I came off the sideline, I had I recovered the ball and realized that we still had to go 50, 60 yards to score. I knew we had it. I mean, I didn't think we was going – they had a chance of stopping Tennessee. They have no chance of stopping any running back that we put back there if they just did the game plan. It was just that simple. I had no hesitation. I didn't think we was going to lose that game once we got the ball back because I sat on the sideline. I just went straight to the bench and got my oxygen and chilled because I was wore out. (laughs) I bet. How hard was Travis Henry to tackle? Oh, my gosh, man. I, they didn't call him cheese for nothing. You know, he he ran like a wedge, man. The, the, the low center of gravity that Travis had, man, I mean, he was very hard to tackle. Man. I mean, between Travis and Jamal Lewis, that was, that was just rare to have that kind of backfield to tackle and practice every single day when we're doing, you know, 908 to try to – Slow these guys. Those guys, that, that was a hard man to tackle. So I knew that Arkansas had no chance with the cheese. Of course, everybody forgets. I mean, you really only needed a field goal. So, I mean, like, you know, and you had trusty Jeff Hall there. But leave no doubt, you know, I mean, it was, it was cheese right, cheese left, and <laughs> cheese 
over the top there at the end. Um, but when you go, let's go back and talk to the, about the ball. Did you hand the ball to the ref? I forget. Yes, I did. I did. Do, I do you wish you had held on to it, knowing what you know now, to have that ball at your house? Yes. And, you know, and I'll I tell you this, I ended up getting a game ball for that game, and, and I hate to even say what I'm about to say. <laughs> I don't even have that game ball to this day because they misspelled my name on the game ball. <laughs> and I never got it back, so... To this day, I don't have. I have zero game balls from the University of Tennessee. So, so, so it's over there in in Fraser's closet with the, uh, the 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 stool from Dooley, the dog from Dooley, the beer barrel. With with the name Rat was it Ratcliffe? Did they add a Man, six? What they do every, to it? Yeah, uh, they butchered it. On actually, <laughs> on all three game balls I ever received, they butchered my name. <laughs> <laughs> the first one I think was of course I think it was like my freshman year um after I think it was UNLV game I got a ball and I think they said it R-A-T-C-L-I-F-F-E okay they just added a lot of letters in there right? oh, I thought they man. may have just called you Leslie right <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it was it was bad man and then they, the Arkansas ball it was R-A-D-C-L- I F F E. Oh, they got them all in there. They, they they just added a few letters along the way. Do, do, do you do you know what the difference? You know you know how to distinguish the difference between Billy and Leslie Ratliff? How is that? <laughs> you know what a cow looks like in Arkansas. <laughs> what it looks. <laughs> what it looks like. <laughs> Billy, let let me let me ask you this, Billy. I mean, the '98 season. Um, yes. That you were coming off an ACL from '97. How, how, I mean, how much, how healthy were you? How long did it take you to round back into form? How challenging was was it for you to get ready for the '98 season, Billy? I mean, it was pretty easy for me. Like rehab, um, you know, it was like a a known thing for me. So I was used to rehabbing. You know, I mean, my whole career, ever since I was at Tennessee, you know, I was rehabbing. I mean. My freshman year, I was rehabbing. You know, sophomore, rehabbing. And, of course, my junior is the first year I haven't made it through. And But 97 was a, a lot easier because, I mean, I was determined to get back on the field. I mean, it's, you know, the timing, the, the medical staff, Mike Rolo, they did so much to help us get back on the field. I mean, and, of course, my time, even off the field, not even being in a trainer, in my dorm room, I'm rehabbing. You know, I did everything it took for me to – get back on the field I mean, and then the most important was the prayer that i did it, it, it helped i mean i got through a lot you know this body been through a lot when i was at tennessee but 97 was probably the easiest injury i ever jumped back from because once i came back from that injury i was a lot bigger stronger and faster did you ever think about not coming back i mean because like you said <laughs> it was year after year and then you had the good year in 98 and then you had the the broken leg in 99. I mean, was there ever a point where you're like, you know what? I get it, man. It's just not in the cards for me. Uh, that's, that's tough, man. I mean, I, I never, ever even, uh, even thought about quitting or, or hanging up the cliques or anything. You know, I even tried to come back from my, my senior. I mean, even though I knew it was almost physically impossible to do, I still tried. But all I wanted to do was play football, get out there and knock people out, man, and help my teammates. You know, I was just – all I ever knew how to do. And, and 
watching my teammates play was the hardest thing for me to do. So that's why I always try to do everything I could to, to get back on the field. So I never, ever even consider quitting even, you know, um, 97, whenever I, um, I hurt my neck, you know, I wasn't supposed to come back from that, from the spider contusion, but I had to get back out there, man. It was, it was too much fun that was happening out there with my, my, my boys and, and I wanted to get back on the field. So no, I never considered quitting. So let's talk about your number. You know, peerless were 37. That's an extremely odd number for a wide receiver. You were 40, another odd number for a defensive tackle. Was that your number from high school and it just translated into Tennessee? How did that number come about? And, you know, oh, man. you're kind of glad that was in, ended up being your number. Well, the thing is, I, I we, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you how this worked back then. <laughs> back then was totally different from the way it is now. Back then was kind of like, you know, when you prisoners go to jail and they got a jumpsuit <laughs> and they just got a number. Well, that's how it was at Tennessee. Whatever the next number was available was the jumpsuit you got. So you didn't pick a number. They just I didn't. It no, you. none of us did. I mean, and you, you were a line, you were a line, nobody remembers this. You literally practiced linebacker at Tennessee. It wasn't like now they may they they may have had in the back of their mind you were always going to defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. They didn't tell you that in the recruiting process. I'm sure. But you did get practice time at linebacker before they moved you to defensive line. Most definitely. Now, I practiced middle linebacker with um, Coach Chavis, you know, with all the, you know, Craig King, T. Hines, all those guys. I was playing linebacker the whole time up until right up until I got injured my freshman year. And that's doing the um, OTAs or doing the um, two-a-days. And, and that's when they switched my position the next that um spring practice um, did you right. did you fight it did you fight the position move um i didn't fight it i didn't because of the way it was communicated to me you know it was already being communicated to me by my teammates beforehand they was like oh you're gonna be you're gonna put your hand on the ground i'm telling you you're gonna be defensive end before you play middle linebacker and of course you know me as a freshman that wants to play football first thing I said all of them I said man if they if they make me change position I'm transferring <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to do the transfer portal before they had it <laughs> hey, my, my last question one of my last questions for you I want to go back to the to the post game Arkansas when you got you guys got into the locker room after that um and I remember fans walking out of the game and it was almost like whew, Man, that was close. When you guys got in the locker room, was that a – the celebration in there, was that a euphoria of like, man, I can't believe we won that one? Or was that one of those, man, if we play like this again, we're, gonna, we're not going to take full advantage of what we've accomplished to this point? What was the locker room scene like post-game after the Arkansas win? It was just like you said in the Sacramento. It was a close call. We can't have these type of close calls to be able to win a national championship because we've had a couple of close calls at the beginning of the season and then with this Arkansas game, that's the closest that we ever wanted to be. And after that, you know, we knew we had to put points on the board and not let any team get that close ever again. We try to try to blow everybody out from that point on. But yes, we was all in the hesitation mode of saying, guys, that was too close. 
we can't have this happen again because if it's that close, we may not be able to come out successful and win a game. Well, it was obviously a great moment, one that there, if you go poll 10 people, all 10 people were there. They might not have really been there, but there was about 300,000 people in the stands that day to watch that Arkansas game and, and that play you made. I said it at the, at the start. I'll say it again. Uh, you're, one of the, you're one of the good guys. You, you played the game with great passion and great joy. Um, you, you went through a taunt at Tennessee, but it was awesome to cover you and awesome to watch you grow and develop and persevere the way you did. I really appreciate you joining us here on the Rocky Top Rewind uh, Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. Thanks, my man. Uh, thanks for having me on, Brent. Thank you, man.